the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Anna Saunders, we play a round of work in it. And then, this job is harder than it looks, so I've negotiated a raise. Two candy bars an episode. But first, your host, Jared Correa. It's time for the Legal Toolkit Podcast. Sadly, we're all out of Ben Gay, but we're going to make this work anyway. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I've never actually used a cartridge puller. Although, I have blown into my fair share of cartridges. Nintendo cartridges, that is. I'm your host, Jared Korea. You're stuck with me because Jim Gray was unavailable. He's hiding in the bushes outside Tom Brady's house. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm also the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Anna Saunders of Voy Legal, we've got a job to do. So, as our friend Anna will tell us in a second, Anna, like the girl from Frozen, which I learned, job market's kind of a bitch right now. At the start of the pandemic, everybody was cruising along, employers I'm talking about, Well, I guess nobody was cruising along at the start of the pandemic, right? But like, it was much easier to hire at that point if you wanted to, because it was very much an employer-friendly job market. And that was the case for like the first, I don't know, year and a half, two years of the pandemic. Now, all of a sudden, the job market has turned on its ear and it has become really hard to find talent, like really, really hard. People are ghosting on interviews People are taking jobs and they're not showing up. Employees, potential employers are walking into businesses, including law firms, and saying, what can you do for me? I talked to a lot of attorneys about this and older attorneys like myself. Yes, I'll lump myself into that category. will say things like, I remember when I was young and I had to really work at my job. And if someone told me to do something, I would do it. And if somebody made an offer, I would say, yes, sir. Or somebody asked me to go file something or made a stupid request, I would say, please, sir, may I have another? Job markets are not like that anymore. Employees now are super empowered, as they should be, because it's really hard to fill jobs. And so if you're an employee's market, you should take advantage of it as the employee. Now, I'm making the assumption here that most of our listeners here are actually business owners themselves. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Write in. Send hate mail care of Evan DeSherry. But in that case, this is not a great spot for you to be in. You're like somebody who's looking for a house right now or trying to fill your tank full of gas, right? Things are kind of wild right now. Inflation is crazy. Job market's insane. It's like the Jimmy Carter administration all over again. So how do you go out and find talent in this market? Well, as I mentioned, I talked to a lot of attorneys about this who are looking to fill roles, 
both administrative staff and attorney roles. And some of the stuff that's traditionally worked is still working, some of which is underutilized, and there are other things to try as well. So Anna's got a lot of great information coming up in our interview session, and she's a legal recruiter. So what she does is match employees with law firms. You should look into recruiters. A lot of them do a really good job. They're also very skilled with this kind of thing. Anna's going to talk about that. So I'm not. If you're a law firm that wants to go out on your own and find talent, here are some strategies that I think work. First of all, best case scenario, finding someone through word of mouth or your network. This is what I would call, and Anna's going to talk about this as well, sort of a serendipitous occurrence. So you find somebody who just falls into your lap. And I should pause here because it's going to seem like somebody falls in your lap, but you've done the work to get there. You've made the contacts. You've met the person who's going to say, hey, check out this person who just left my firm. Or I know somebody who's looking for a job that's going to end up being a great fit for you. So ideally, if somebody falls into your lap or someone you trust highly, recommend someone that's going to be a great fit for your law firm. That's the best case scenario. Now, the problem with that is that that's not necessarily part of a process. And you may not have time to wait around. And another issue I found there is, especially for attorneys who've been in practice for a while, like who own law firms, let's say you're in your mid-40s, early 50s, and you're looking for younger talent. Well, you may not necessarily cross paths with those folks anymore. So if you're looking for a late 20s, early 30s attorney to hire as an associate who may have some partnership potential, where are you going to find them? Well, not in your traditional circles. So maybe you end up having to do some stuff out of your comfort zone, like go to a new lawyer section meeting at a bar association or try to get more involved in groups of attorneys that you wouldn't normally get involved with, right? Interest areas that you may not have accessed before. Basically find out where those younger attorneys are and try to meet with them. Some people don't necessarily feel comfortable doing that because attorneys tend to box themselves in, in terms of networking. They try to find other lawyers who are around the same age, have the same interests that they have. So that might be outside your comfort level a little bit, but if you're trying to expand your network, that's one great way to do it. Now, LinkedIn has also exploded ever since the pandemic hit. LinkedIn usage has been crazy high because everybody was stuck at home in front of their computers for so long. The activity on LinkedIn is out of bounds right now and has been for quite a while to the point where I've shifted a lot of my marketing outreach to LinkedIn as well. So I've seen law firms do a couple things on LinkedIn. What's cool about LinkedIn is that you can add that little uh, tab to your profile picture that says you're either open to work or hiring. And if you're one of those, you should do that because if you end up being a law firm that's hiring or an attorney that's hiring, folks may notice that on your profile picture and they will maybe reach out to you. If somebody is uh, looking for a job and you're trolling around LinkedIn searching for some candidates, you'll be able to see whether they're openly looking for a job or not. Now, you don't necessarily need to avoid contacting them if they're not looking for a job, but some people don't want to do that. They view that as a party foul. Whereas other attorneys will just look for appropriate candidates and reach out to them and be like, hey, want to leave your current job? I've seen that work too. So in terms of LinkedIn, at the top left-hand side of the page, when you get into your profile, there's going to be a little search button. Click on that, type in like paralegal Boston, Massachusetts, 
and then you'll find some other search criteria that you can add in as well. If you're looking for candidates, that's a great way to look for candidates directly. The other cool thing about LinkedIn is that they have a jobs feature where you can post a job or apply for a job. In this case, we're talking about posting a job, and you can do that for free. And again, everybody's on LinkedIn, so you should get some candidates through that. Another sort of non-traditional tactic I see law firms leveraging pretty well is using the career development offices at law schools, if we're talking about attorneys, or at paralegal schools, or undergraduate universities or colleges, if you're trying to find staff. Believe it or not, like if you can create a viable relationship with the people at the career development office of either a school you've gone to or a school in your locality, those folks are usually generally very good about talking over candidates with you. They'll help you learn how to post your job, and they may also recommend candidates to you as well. I've seen that work out also. I have attorneys who have really good relationships with local schools, and they're able to continuously source potential hires from that, even now when the job market has turned around significantly. And then there are those traditional job posting sites, Indeed, Monster. You're going to post a job on there and you get a bunch of people who apply. Vetting that heavy list can be problematic, but you may run into a different problem, which is maybe you're not getting enough candidates. If that's the case, you can also boost any posts like that. And you can also pay for a boost on LinkedIn too to get you in front of more people. So if you're having trouble getting candidates, which is the reverse problem of what most people have, you can boost that as necessary. As I said, like people are finding talented candidates. Some of them are bouncing before agreeing to anything, before coming to the interview, before starting their first day at work. Uh, they quit like two days in. Like it's a, it's a very fractured marketplace right now. So not only do you have to do a good job about sourcing candidates, you have to make sure they stay happy. And like right away. So the other thing I would say here is if you're drafting a job post, what can be really useful is putting yourself in a position where that is a unique proposition. So most job posts are going to be pretty bland. But if you get a great opening sentence, if you're writing in a potentially colloquial and interesting way, if you're separating yourself from the pack, just like you could do with your website or any other number of things you do in terms of marketing your firm, and this is sort of an aspect of marketing your firm, which Anna will talk about, that's another way to try and source candidates. Now, a couple other things to consider here as well, or a few other things under one overarching topic. Before you go out and hire, a question you want to ask yourself is, can you afford to hire? And so I have a thesis on hiring for law firms. And that is that each employee at a law firm should be a profit center. I know that sounds callous, but a bunch of law firms hire too quickly. A bunch of law firms hire without the knowledge of whether or not they can actually afford that hire and for how long. Basically, like you see a bunch of law firms hiring people with no idea about how they're going to afford them. So figure out ahead of time, what work do you have for this person? What can the firm build that out on? What is going to be the revenue that this person generates? If you know that, and that's easier to figure out for attorneys than it is for staff in a lot of cases, but if you know that number or can approximate that number, you know how much you can pay somebody, and you know you're going to turn a profit on that person. And if you can turn a profit on an employee in a certain job role, that's something that you can replicate, and you can turn a profit for any employee in that job role. Now, one consideration is salary and benefits. Another consideration is whether you want to pay commissions of some kind. Um, are you going to pay origination fees so that a potential employee, a lawyer in this case, in all likelihood, 
a lawyer for all these scenarios, usually, gets an origination fee for what they bring in. You see that set at different levels. Some people offer that to new attorneys on the hope that they're not going to generate a lot of revenue. <laughs> because generally speaking, it's hard to get cases through the door as a new attorney. So that could be something you throw on the pile as well. But again, you want to be able to run the math and make sure that that's a still a profitable arrangement for you if you're paying out origination fees. I see some law firms bonus people on the number of hours they work over a certain number of billable hours. And I've seen law firms do some interesting things in terms of settlements, like paying out commissions on settlements based on the period of time in which the settlement was achieved and also the value of a settlement. So lots of things you can do here. So first you need to know how to hire, or excuse me, know whether you can afford to hire, understand that each employee should be a profit center, and then understand that in addition to salary and benefits, there may be other obligations that you tie yourself to with that employee, which is going to give you a fuller picture of what their financial commitment is going to look like. So yeah, just a few tips on hiring successfully. But before we get to our discussion on the state of the current job market with Anna Saunders of Voy Legal, I've got your first job assignment. Listen to Joshua Lennon, who has you for this week's edition of the Clio Legal Trends Report. Like it or not, remote client communications are here to stay. In fact, more and more clients are demanding this over in-person office visits. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends Report. It's not surprising that at least 83% of law firms already have technology in place to communicate with clients virtually, because that's what clients want. When it comes to communication, our data shows that there's an increasing preference for video calls, email, secure client portals, and other remote options, because they give clients the utmost flexibility to work with legal professionals. So why not give clients what they want? For more information on how clients prefer to communicate with legal professionals, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends. All right, let's grab a big spoon and dive right into this big bowl of Brunswick stew. It's time to interview our guest. My guest today is Anna Saunders, a senior director at Voy Legal. Anna, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. We're here to talk about the job market. Some crazy shit going on in the job market right now. There is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Things kind of turned on a dime, like instantly. I remember at the start of pandemic, like everybody was laid off, lost their jobs. Employers were worried because work dried up for like two months straight. And then now, these lawyers who were like, hey, you're lucky to have a job, peon, are now like, please, how may I make it viable for you to work in my business? That's a big change for them. So like, in your mind, like, how are lawyers dealing with this new environment? Capably? Or are they panicking? Uh, I'm going to go with strategically. Mm, very good. Well, done. obviously, there was a time for panic. And March 2020 was really peak season for that. Yes. But as the, the hiring markets picked right back up, the pendulum swung fully the other way. Yeah. You, yeah. You're, 
how can we make this work for you? It's please submit all of your signing bonus offers in a closed envelope. And I'll let you know at the end of the day where I'll be joining. Everything went completely off the deep end. Signing bonuses, which we hadn't seen since, you know, before the 2009 struggles became not just, is it part of the package we negotiate? It's like, okay, we know that's going to be a part of it. It's just how much. And all kinds of other things, which I think you couldn't really ask for with a straight face, started being (laughs) offered as just a matter of course. Well, it's interesting. So like, I kind of like form the question for you is like, how are law firms dealing with it? I guess a better question from your perspective is like, what should law firms that are looking to hire be doing? Is it just like, I'll give you whatever you want? (laughs) What's the strategic approach here? As with most things, if you start with a large bag of money, you're off to a good start. But that is absolutely (laughs) not the end of the story. (laughs) Because, you know, all the firms paying top of the market, matching Milbank and Cravath, they're doing well, but they're not the only ones that are doing well. Mm -hmm. And it has been a real question for firms kind of looking around internally, calling up their friends and consultants outside to say, um, what's going to move the needle, friends? (laughs) So some money plus some other stuff, right? Because like the workers you're hiring now are different than the workers you were hiring before. Not only are they more emboldened, but younger employees are looking for somewhat different things, right? It's true. So I think what I've seen be the most successful strategy always boils back down to flexibility and individuality. You know, there'll be 10 firms sort of targeting a three-day-a-week in-person hybrid return-to-work plan. But it hits 10 different ways, because at one firm that, you know, a memo went out, signed by the top dog that said, thou shalt return, for lo, these three days, and one of these days shall be Wednesday. That's very biblical. I like that. Well, it's yeah, it comes from the top of the mountain, and you receive the note, and you're like, well, okay, it's a take-it-or-leave-it situation. And (laughs) others are, you know, in their smaller team and group meetings, talking about, okay, what do we want to target? And so they're saying, we are looking at, we are shooting for, we aspire to a a three-day-a-week. The same number of people are coming back into the office for the same number of hours. But it feels real different when you have a voice in how it gets implemented. If you say, okay, cool, but I've got it, like, I run day camp out of my house on Tuesdays, so how about I don't come in Tuesday? Let me ask you that, because that's an interesting question. How are employees and employers dealing with this back to the office thing? Because I, my whole deal is like in office work is like a boomer conspiracy. You do not need to be in the office really for this kind of work if you're a knowledge worker. What's it like out there right now? So I think that conversation is being had in the the shadow of law firms having the most profitable year in the history of ever with all of their employees 100% remote. So (laughs) it's mixed. And some places are really leaning in. Some firms have started completely remote offices. They're hiring into, it's, you know, they call it different things, but into a a remote office with the idea that it will be 100% remote for forever. Yeah. Are there ugly tax issues if you live in particular places? Maybe. But Mm -hmm. turns out they're law firms filled with lawyers. Good at that kind of thing. (laughs) So some have just leaned in and are like, okay, for our in-office people, we have one thing, but we understand remote work is super, super popular, right. especially with a certain demographic. And the ones who leaned in fast scooped up a lot of really good talent. 
And they didn't have to pay top of the market. I mean, that helps. Doesn't hurt. But, but you get to trade the flexibility a little bit, yeah. And even just the firm commitment that you get from, we promise we're not going to like, in 12 weeks, surprise, you come to work two days a week. Right, right. Do you think that's still a differentiator at this point? Or have firms that are going to make the move to virtual already done so? No, uh, it's still a differentiator. And firms are still, I think, in some cases, feeling out where they want to be. Aside from the office flexibility, like where do you work, and the bag of money that you talked about before, what are the like valuable components are you seeing offered? Or are you seeing people asking for this kind of moving the needle? Um, flexibility and some other things. Okay. There are, so because there was so much movement, top talent, like, got tossed in the Vitamix and rizzed about for a little bit. Everybody made a move. It opened up some opportunities for folks that didn't have the experience or the grades. Firms would be open to retooling someone who had a similar skill set, but maybe not directly on point. So it opened up all of these sort of new things where before... You can make a career shift. You can nudge your practice over a little bit. You can't just drop your entire practice and skip off into leveraged finance. Mm-hmm. But during the height of needing, say, corporate associates, there was a whole, the whole book of things that you definitely cannot do got chucked out the window. And firms said, uh, I don't know. What do you got? What do people want? <laughs> and so they would take a strong somebody with a related-ish skill set that, again, if you tried to make that move a year or two back, it would have been very, very difficult. That's fair. Now, so part of this is like conversations that law firms have with potential employees that are back-channel conversations. And then part of this is like, I think, how do you look as a law firm in a public-facing way to make an employee, a potential employee, say, hey, I really want to work for that law firm? Do you see law firms making changes on that front as well? Like their visibility as a hire or as an employer? Oh, yes. And I think every time a firm comes upon a really good idea, and they're very smart to do it, is to call someone like me up and say, look what we've done. Because <laughs> if it's really, really cool, people are interested in that information. Yeah. What What yeah. is the cutting edge? What are all the innovators up to these days? Yeah. So what does it look like to be an innovative firm in this marketplace? Are we talking about like just the static stuff like, hey, we got a really big settlement? Or is it more like, this is how we employees, that kind of thing? We don't all wear bow ties. As we mentioned, the bag of money is a good place to start. Yes. No. So in terms of like employee relations, there are firms that have, they have two tracks, a higher billable target that'll sort of get you a look for partner in eight, nine years, and then maybe Mm -hmm. a lower track where you can exceed expectations with a lot less work, and it just lengthens the track. It doesn't take you off mm. track. Because that was a classic problem of yeah. people would get mommy tracked. Or it's yeah, exactly. basically, you take one step back in your career, and then you just get chucked off the entire runway. So firms finding ways of like, hey, that's not great, especially because a lot of people want to take a small step back, and maybe that's for a year or two or three they have family commitments or other commitments. Right, right, right. So yeah. if we make sure that there's a way for them to stay on a career track that they're interested in, they'll stay with us. And it has, by and large, worked incredibly well. Oh, cool. Um, all right. So the other thing I've heard from law firms is they're saying, you know what? Fuck it. Hiring seems like it's really hard. So what we're going to do is lean in on keeping the good talent we have, and we're not going to bring anybody in. 
We're only going to hire if we absolutely have to. Is that a decent strategy? Do you totally ignore the job market or not? Can that work? It depends how hard you're working your current associates. Mm. One of the things that really moves the needle on loyalty is, is my team, is my firm protecting me mm-hmm. from unreasonable client demands, from the press of the billable hour? Because if you're having to turn work away because you don't have the capacity to do it, that's bad. You're doing a bad job as a law firm. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. So you absolutely have to bring on or retain. I mean, and I'm all for retaining talent. It's a lot more efficient to take care of the talent that you already have. But I think just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth doing. And that is one of the ways that you show the people that you have that, look, we can anticipate needs. We know, you know, you'll be going out on paternity leave sometime in October. We need to have some bandwidth. It's our job to find that. Right. That's that's a, that's a great perspective on that. All right. Now here's the sixty thousand dollar question. Maybe with inflation, it's now the ninety thousand dollar question. <laughs> Should people be like locked into this model in the sense that like it's going to be really tough as an employer moving forward, or are things going to shift again? Because we had two massive shifts in a short period of time. I think the pendulum is coming back to the middle. Okay. It's where I'm sure people are happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> So the markets are still really busy. There is a lot of demand, but it is no longer blanket demand for every skill set at every level. It's more targeted and focused. There are areas that are very, very, very hot. Oh, interesting. But it's firms did a lot of the hiring that they were going to do in some areas. So I think as the pendulum goes, I I sort of in, I don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. But it feels like we're getting back towards like, Good, busy, yeah. but regaining a little touch of sanity. Yeah, yeah, some level of normalcy. Well, that's good. That's good. I think people are probably breathing a sigh of relief right now. How should potential law firm employees, like attorneys or staff, be approaching this market? I know what I'd be doing. I'd be making all these crazy <laughs> what demands. Is that? <laughs> I'd be like, where's my yacht? <laughs> but like, how much is too much? How do you... How do you look at this? Like, how do you value your current job versus a potential new job? So there are a couple things that, you know, kind of have always influenced employee happiness. And I think my recommendation is to be as transparent as possible. I wouldn't stamp your foot and demand your yacht. But if someone asks you what color pony do you want, you should tell them. <laughs> Somebody's trying to buy you a pony. Make it the nice one. So as, as a potential employee, as somebody who's like looking to make a career move, even a lateral one, how aggressive should people be being now about making that move? I was reading, like, there's all the stuff we talked about. And then I think I was reading an article the other day where they said, like, you're leaving 7% additional income on the table by not moving jobs right now on average. And that seems about right to me. So, like, even if you like your job right now, should you be aggressively looking for something else just to see what's out there? I think you should be open to being made a compelling offer. I wouldn't look just to look. I would okay. look at what you have. I mean, and this is obviously contrary to my professional interests, but a lot of the <laughs> conversations <laughs> I have, yeah. sometimes I'll, I just spoke with it. It was junior associate who is getting incredible varied work, has a ton of responsibility for his class here, gets direct client contact. Like there is nothing wrong. And that type of experience, that breadth and that level of 
honestly, it's going to be hard to find somewhere else. Is it possible? Sure. But there's no reason to burn the social capital you have, the political capital you've invested in the place you are. Yeah, especially as a young attorney, I think like you got a lot of ways to go in your career too. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be more shifts in the future. Wait till there's something wrong. Wait till there's something to fix. Mm. You know, or and this person has this huge runway in front of them. They're going to yes. be have marketable skills for the next four years. Like, there's no rush to move just to move. Um, I got one more question for you, and then we'll segue into our next segment. But that's you talk a little bit about serendipity in job searching. I um, do. Which is like that's sort of that was sort of unexpected to me. So like, I love the term. Like, it's a great word. Like. How does that work in the job market? And why do you value that? Well, I use the word serendipity instead of dumb luck. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. serendipity is the, <laughs> it's the like actively pursued dumb luck. Clever yes. luck. Yes. Of making yourself available for interesting stuff. You know, responding to the LinkedIn requests you get. Going on podcasts, for instance. You yes. meet interesting people. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Getting yourself involved in things that are a little bit outside your normal professional, because it can be very tempting, especially when you have a high-pressure, high-hour career, to just do that. Sure, and I, yeah. Yes. That's very understandable. Yes. Nothing wrong with keeping your head down and staying sane. But as soon as you have a couple of extra spoons in the career category, take on something that brings you into contact with some other people. If you do a good job at that, people remember you. Yes. I think every job I've gotten since I came of voting age, it's because somebody, it, someone more or less got it for me, recommended it, pointed me, connected me with the people who got me that job. Right. I think that's a great point. I think what a lot of people don't understand who are entering the market is like, as you get older, you don't apply for jobs. <laughs> jobs kind of find you or you find jobs through the people you know. And if you're intentional about putting out what is interesting to me, what would I be open to? And you tell people, people will remember it. And when they run across that weird thing, they'll be like, oh, that, yeah, get that fellow over there. <laughs> Anna, this has been great. Will you come back for one final segment? I will. It's been so much fun. Great. All right. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then, stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products and includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Find out how TimeSolve fits your firm with six different ways to track time. Surely one will fit even on the go, or quickly estimate flat fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is definitely a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, and more, they all just plug in. Try TimeSolve for free 
and get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up at timesolve.com. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are. This is where we always end up, at the rear end of the legal toolkit, the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short-form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. Anna, we're going to play a new game that I've invented just for you. It's called Working It. I'm going to describe some real jobs that people have. These are all real jobs. I want to see if you can guess the salary. Oh, my. Let's begin. And I'll give you a little bumper here. I'll give you a little bit of a range. We'll bring in inflation. We'll say, come within like 20% of the salary range and we'll be good. And this is outside of your field of expertise. I'm fairly certain. (laughs) Oh, it sounds like. (laughs) Let's see how many of these we can get through. I'm going to start off with master marijuana extractor. This is a real job. What do you and do? I bet you need a degree for that. Something in chemistry. Oh, see, got this is, I, knew, I knew I was talking to the right person. Um, a master marijuana extractor processes marijuana to produce edibles, oils, concentrates, and other marijuana products. You do need a degree in a related field to acquire this job. But once you have one, you can start earning a considerable salary right out of college. So I am going off the national average salary, just so you know. So some are higher and some are lower. So... What do you think? Master marijuana extractor. I think that is going to... A master marijuana extractor suggests that there's some sort of intern apprentice or... Apprentice marijuana apprentice extractor. Apprentice level. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say that's going to come in at around 64000 Oh, yes. I'm going to give that one to you. I got fifty k here, and with our inflation range, you hit it. We're one for well, one. Well, that's, yeah, that's for in New York. If yeah, that's, Kentucky, that's the New York City average. Yep. One of the yep. more <laughs> hilarious. All right, I got job number two for you. This is the Homer Simpson job. Nuclear power reactor operator, which apparently in the real world requires some level of education. Even though on the Simpsons, it doesn't seem like much education is required at all. <laughs> Nuclear power reactor operators are responsible for operating and controlling nuclear reactors. A normal day consists of adjusting control rods, monitoring reactors, and responding to abnormalities. I think that would be bad. Nuclear power reactor operators typically need at least a high school diploma, but there's extensive on-the-job training needed to prepare for the U.S. NRC licensing exam. You'll have to pass a yearly exam as well to keep your license. Because we don't want you fooling with those rods unless you're really Ah, confident right right yes (laughs) yes um but a high school diploma is what's required the rest they usually don't compensate that well for the training they give you um 42 oh actually it's 98 98 (laughs) 
honestly, I'm glad to be wrong, and that's the direction I want. I know. To go I'm kind of happy that like people are making that much money. I guess Homer makes more than I anticipated. All right, so you're one for two. I say that's pretty good. Online dating ghostwriter. Now this sounds like it would be a really fun job. <laughs> this is a real yes, job. Yes, it does. <laughs> I am currently considering a side hustle. <laughs> this is this is potentially descriptive enough on its own right, but an online dating ghostwriter writes profile for people on dating websites. This is a great job if you have the writing skills to create witty dating profiles. So online dating ghostwriter. What are we thinking in terms of salary? I feel like this is not well paid. I feel like you like you're gonna get like I should five probably bucks stop a profile. Nodding, uh, uh, yeah, it's probably not that well paid. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean like, and if you're like pumping out profiles all day long, yeah, I'm, I I don't know feel how like you can be. Let's go with thirty-five. It's actually fifty-four. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. National average salary. This is a nice side hustle like fun for you too. Yeah, it's, it seems like a lot of fun. So. I think I'm going to give that one to you for inflation. So we're two for three. Now, this is a really good one, which you may have heard of before. A body part model. Oh, like hand models. Yes. So we all know what a, what a body part model is, like a hand model. The yeah. question is, what do they actually make? I envision this as a high-flying and glamorous career. Oh, certainly is. Yeah, this is going to be 85 Oh, wow. You are on fire. 75. That's close. <laughs> I'm impressed. All right, I, I got, the I got, longer we do this, the better my grades getting, are going you're getting, up. Really, you're getting really good. I'm super impressed. All right, let's do uh, two more and see how we do here. Veterinary acupuncturist. I don't know if I need to describe this. Basically, it's someone who does acupuncture on animals, which I didn't know existed, but it is a real job. This job requires you to have training and certification in acupuncture. A love of animals is also important for succeeding in the role. Or maybe you just hate animals and want to stick pins in them. I don't know. But this is a real job. Veterinary acupuncturist. What do you think the salary is? I think you need probably significant veterinary training and also acupuncture training. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not probably doctor level, but I'm going to go with 90. 90 is close. It's 70. 70. Mm. I'm going to give that one to you, too. All right. Let's see if you can bring this home. This one's going to be tough. I say the toughest one for last. And you may have heard of this job before because I think people have heard of this job. Golf ball diver. Golf ball diver. Considering the price of a new box of golf balls and how many brand new golf balls I've personally hit into the water, retrieving and reselling this white gold can be a pretty lucrative job. All right, I'm giving you a hint here. As the name suggests, golf ball divers take to the many ponds across golf courses in this country to salvage, clean, and recycle golf balls. Probably need to be scuba certified, but otherwise you're just splashing around in this dirty, muddy water. How much does a golf ball diver make per year? 60. 60. So 60 is possible, but you can make as much as $150,000 a year reselling golf that balls. That is the highest paid job on this entire it is, list. It I, is. <laughs> <laughs> That's that why we saved it for last. Podcast hosting for Legal Talk Network comes in at a tidy $0 a year. So there we are. Anna, thank you. You make a for... compelling case for that. Yes, right. <laughs> thank you for coming on. This has been truly delightful. Your knowledge of the job market, we've tested you, is truly legit. We will definitely talk soon. It's been a real pleasure. 
If you want to find out more about Anna Saunders and Voy Legal, visit voylegal.com. That's V-O-Y-L-E-G-A-L.com. Like boy, but with a V, Voy Legal. Now, for those of you listening in Bump-Ass, Virginia, yeah, that's a real place, we've got a great playlist for your listening pleasure. Songs about the cold as heat waves ravage the fucking world right now. I went to a minor league baseball game a couple weeks ago, and it was 100 degrees. It's fucked up. I'm about to close the show, though, because I need to get to the two 100 grand candy bars I now make for hosting each show. So that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. This is Jared Korea reminding you that there's no I in job. Well, fucking obviously. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.